Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. It's Monday, December the 4th and coming up we've got plenty of reaction from Kent's teams that were in action in the FA Cup over the weekend. But first today, one of our most read stories on the website is that bosses in Medway have admitted they weren't consulted about families from a London borough moving into a former office block in Chatham. Around 80 homeless people from Newham are preparing to relocate to Anchorage House, which has been converted into apartments. Now, the local authority says it doesn't have any extra money to support the 200 additional residents when they arrive. Well, I'm joined now by reporter Nicola Jordan, who's written this story. Nicola, thanks ever so much for being on the podcast today. Firstly, would you mind just describing Anchorage House for anyone who perhaps hasn't been to Medway or doesn't know the area particularly well? Um, Anchorage House is a 11-storey tower block, uh, probably built in the 60s, right in the middle of Chatham Town Centre. For, for years it was home to the uh, county and family court which has since moved to the council offices after the uh, long-term lease expired so it's just laid there dormant for for many years Um, what's happened is a private housing association has brokered a deal with a London uh, authority Newham Borough Council um, to house Uh, homeless people from their area in this uh, tower block. So they've gone in, um, they've been given a £9 million project to oversee the conversion of the building. Uh, It's now housing, I think, 81, 83 units, self-contained units for um, studio flats for couples and two-bedroomed apartments for families. And can you tell us a bit more about just how many families um, are coming into Anchorage House from outside of the area? We don't know exactly, but if you take it by token that two people will be in a studio and up to four, um, we could be looking up to 200 people. There's also some confusion arising. Um, Newham have uh, said to us, uh, uh, Kent Online, that they have actually offered some units to Medway Council. There's some sort of inconsistency here because uh, Medway Council are uh, insistent that there's still ongoing conversations and nothing, no agreement's been reached. And that also includes the, the financial es- aspects of this. Um, who's going to support these, these tenants when they come here with uh, social serv- services, welfare, education, schools, you name it. Um, although it's only temporary accommodation, it could be up to a year. And these people have got to live and and, uh, sort of adapt to a new environment. I know, Nicola, you've been desperately trying to get more information on this story from the local authority. You have now had some contact with a couple of councillors. What have they said to you? Well, they basically said because um, this housing association that's brokered the deal has used what's called permitted development rights. That means it doesn't go through the usual planning application process, which is normally through the local authority, where you submit an application can often be a complex and a lengthy procedure and it was brought in by the government uh, back in the 80s I think this this is known as PDR so they've not had to liaise with Medway Council so there's not been the relationship you'd normally get with a landlord a change of use for example from an office block to um, residential Um, so there has been some sort of like lack of communication shall we say between the two um, I think they, there are ongoing conversations. Newham has said that they will be having a point of contact person that will be visiting the um, Anchorage House to help with people's welfare issues, etc. We've previously spoken to the man who founded Gillingham Street Angels, Neil Charlick. He's been on the podcast. He expressed his frustration and anger, I suppose, about all of this because he says there are plenty of people in Medway who need accommodation. He sees it on a day-to-day basis. 
Um, and with the cost of living and Christmas coming up, he, he, uh, literally today he's put out yet another appeal for more food supplies because it, it's, it's going to be worse than ever for these people. And Neil, you know, has, has been homeless himself. He sees this, these problems uh, firsthand. And I think he's, he's rather angry that, if, in fact, that Medway um, homeless people have not been given priority. There are no funds available. There's no emergency fund uh, kitty for these people. So they're going to have to find the money to, to, to somehow stretch to, to you know, help these poor people. Nicola, I'm sure this is a story that we'll be following up again in future. Thank you ever so much for being on the episode. Kent Online News. Other top stories today, and a 23-year-old Ashford man found dead at his home has been described as sensitive and caring. Louis Sutton was discovered at the property in Appledore and is thought to have suffered an overdose. His mum has revealed the artist was addicted to prescription drugs and had battled with depression, anxiety and insomnia. A court's heard a man who tried to steal art from the Libertines Hotel in Margate claimed Pete Doherty was his friend. James Samson said he'd been given permission to come and go from the Albion Rooms as he pleased, with a 43-year-old who's homeless trespassed in August last year and is already in prison. A man's been charged after the attempted theft of a cash machine in New Ash Green. More than £5,000 worth of damage was caused after a vehicle drove into a co-op store in the road last week. A 40-year-old from Surrey is due in court later. Now, there are calls to set up a banking hub in a part of Medway as more branches are due to close. Lloyds and NatWest have announced plans to shut their sites in Stroud because more customers are using online services instead. Lauren Edwards is Labour's parliamentary candidate for Rochester and Street at the next election. Well, she's calling on a company called Link to set up a facility which has several banks under one roof and is run by post office staff. She's been speaking to Gabriel from our colleagues at KMTV. So unfortunately, already Rochester is a bit of a banking desert and we, we don't want that here in Strood. It's really, really sad that the, the two banking uh, stores are going to be closing. Obviously, a lot of people use online banking, but a lot of people really value that face-to-face branch contact. So it's a, it's a real loss, and we absolutely need to do something about it. I was speaking to elderly people this morning, and they are very concerned about this. Um, I mean, some have said their, bank, their closest banks now going to be Gravesend, I think, or Sittingbourne, which is miles away. Absolutely. I mean, people are being directed to either Gravesend or Chatham, um, and that's a really long distance for a lot of people and as you say a lot of our older generation really value that face-to-face contact. What could the solution be here? What uh, what can uh, local council, what can uh, politicians do in, in the area? So one of the things I think is really important are these new banking hubs. So this morning I have put in an application to Link who manage the ATM network in the country and cash access and ask them to consider this area because there's no banks on the peninsula at all. Strood's just lost two and there's none in Rochester. So we really need to look at uh, better solutions and that would mean different banks coming into a central location like a post office and it would really help fix this problem of the banking deserts that we're getting across the country at the moment. We're going to lose Lloyds, we've lost Wilco, you've got an empty HSBC, we're going to have an empty NatWest. What's this going to mean for the high street, the local community, the local economy here in Stroud? It might affect the footfall that we get in our high streets and I'm obviously very focused on doing everything I can to increase footfall on our, on our high streets. So that's why I think a banking hub is a really good solution because it would mean those people would still be able to come in to the town centre, do their shopping and speak to their bank, their bank manager or somebody behind the till which is really, really important. And I really welcome the Labour Party's announcement this uh, today that they will be rolling out the banking hub model if we're in government a lot more widely because I think it's a really valuable thing that we should be pursuing. Kent Online reports. 
After a night of heavy rain, there are flood warnings for some parts of the county today. Low-lying areas around the rivers Eden, Edenbrook, Upper River Medway and Upper River Stour are urged to be on alert. The wet weather is set to continue today and we're being reminded not to drive or walk through floodwaters. One person's been seriously injured after a crash on the A2 near Canterbury. Police were called to the nine-vehicle collision on the coastbound carriageway in the early hours of yesterday. We're told the casualty was taken to a London hospital. Their injuries aren't thought to be life-threatening. Now, as world leaders meet for another day at COP28 in Dubai, a Kent Action Group say their festival this week is crucial for local eco-targets. Canterbury Climate Action Partnership is bringing organisations from across the city together. It'll showcase the positive work that's already being done to tackle climate change. Well, Dr Carl Wright is from the partnership and he's been speaking to Lucy. It's the third time we've done the festival here in Canterbury. Um, and it's it's quite a big event. We have a big network where we bring together the local government, obviously city council and um, uh, Kent County Council, but also our community groups, our residents association, uh, churches, schools, um, the local business community, really all the key stakeholders, universities, um, really to push for zero climate action, zero carbon action. And really it's it's an opportunity to celebrate. You know, there's lots of doom and gloom about climate and quite rightly because we're not meeting the international Paris targets and that's that's of great concern to all of us but at the same time there's some really good things being done locally uh, here in Canterbury and beyond and we want to celebrate that and showcase that at our our festival which is um, essentially on the on the 9th of December Saturday the 9th it's a public event where everybody can come along to at um, St Peter's Methodist Church in the centre of Canterbury but it's also happening um, actually throughout the week um, during the COP events. Various partners are putting on things at the universities, uh, Canterbury Cathedral. So lots of things going on. And you said this is the third year you've done the festival. What kind of differences or changes have you noticed over the, these three years, perhaps with people wanting to get involved or just more of an awareness maybe of climate change? It has grown a lot. And of course, we've had these extreme weather conditions. I think when I've spoken to you and other colleagues uh, previously, you know, we've had these heat waves, we've had the abnormal um, droughts, uh, we had the awful situation, I think when we're talking to, to um, colleagues about it, uh, when we had all the dead fish, sadly, in the in the beaches and the rivers, which was due to uh, abnormally high water temperatures caused by climate, uh, you know, causing oxygen, um, lack of oxygen, so, so the fish died. So all these things have been happening over the last one, two years. And we have noticed that people are much more aware, uh, they're much more concerned, and and they're also what most importantly they're willing to take action to to address the climate and they're wanting to get you know the government to get the local government get the the world to to really do something about it. Tell me a little bit about some of the projects and some of the action that people are taking in in the Canterbury area and what is being celebrated during this festival. For example, there are businesses which got um, planned to I know one one case plant a tree for every new customer which is you know, really quite, quite positive, um, very concrete things. Uh, people do recycling. We have a, a Canterbury repair cafe where people can bring their, their old goods and have them repaired rather than chuck them away and have new ones. Uh, we've got a campaign to stop uh, use of plastic, which of course is clogging up our, particularly our rivers and our beaches and everywhere else. So uh, lots of things like that are going on, very, very practical things. But also, um, in addition to that, um, there's, a, if you like, the strategic level, what, what our city council is doing, what Kent County Council is doing, what the UK government's doing or not doing more precisely um, to address climate. And so we're also engaged at the, if you like, at the 
um, local government and at the strategic level to um, to engage on these issues. And it's very interesting. And, and one reason why we've coincided this year's festival with the International COP conference, the UN Climate Conference, is that for the first time, uh, there's going to be a local climate action summit at the uh, COP, which is exactly highlighting those sort of issues, uh, what can be done at the community level, not just at the rather rarefied international or, or, or Whitehall level. Kent Online reports. Lifeboat and Coast Guard teams have been called in to help rescue a man who became ill while on a cruise ship off the Kent coast. He suffered a medical incident on board a liner in the English Channel off Dover Harbour. He's been flown to the William Harvey Hospital. A consultation on plans to change the education system on Sheppey comes to an end today. Oasis are going to stop running the academy on the island at the end of this academic year. From September, the idea is to have two different trusts come in to take over sites in Minster and Sheerness. Next today, and people living opposite the site of a planned care home in Faversham are worried the local road network won't be able to cope when it opens. Developers want to put the facility on land off Love Lane. It's all part of a wider development which has already been given outline consent for 154 homes, along with three shops, a nursery and a sport facility. Well, Mary and Buster Brown have lived in Love Lane since 1997. They're concerned about safety and think something needs to be done to slow traffic down if the plans were approved. I can't believe it and we have campaigned for years until I've given up to try and get this road a lower speed limit and to think you're going to have a care home over there and fair enough we always need them but there are going to be visitors, there are going to be supplies taken there, that's more traffic um, and, and if you want to visit and you've got old parents living there, you might want to take them out. You might even want to take them out in a wheelchair along this road. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, people want to be out in the community. You don't go into a care home to, to stay there. You hopefully have people that can take you out. I know that if my mum was still alive, I would be taking her out in a wheelchair. Things don't change. So we've got to think of people. And they're not thinking of people, they're thinking of bricks and mortar. How much money can we make out of that piece of land? And I think it's terrible. Mm -hmm. So if the development gets the green light, what do you think needs to be done to the road? to try and make it safer. Slow it down. Slow it down. Speed bumps. Listen. That kind of thing. Listen to us. Slow it down. What do you think the speed and, limit should be? Well, it's got to have to be 20, the same as Whitstable Road, because it's going to be even busier than the Whitstable Road soon, if they carry on doing what they're going to do. Yeah. And, um, do you think that there needs to be pavements on both sides of the road as well? Or oh, yes. Yeah. And, and I don't know how many millions it would take, but they're going to have to widen the bridge on both ends. Especially this end, the A2 end, they have to widen this bridge. Yeah, that's major, that is, as well. It's a major thing to do, but if they're thinking of having as many houses as they're saying over there, and light industrial, then they're going to have to widen the bridge, 
or find another way around. Well, developers say the proposed facility would bring multiple benefits to the area and they add it would provide jobs. They also say it would be a high-quality, sustainable design solution responding in a positive manner to the key objections of the National Planning Policy Framework. Kent Online News. A man who was given a parking fine while rock climbing in Canterbury says the signs were misleading. Andy Lang from Sittingbourne left his car on a single yellow line on the Windsheep Industrial Estate. He says two nearby parking signs contradict each other, but council bosses insist the information is clear. They've contacted him over his appeal. Next today, we've been for a look around Kent's newest co-working space. The Dockyard Church in Sheerness has undergone a major multi-million pound renovation after being left in ruin for more than 20 years. It's now being used by entrepreneurs and those who still want to work remotely but want to get away from home every now and then. Well, Paul Andrews is the chief executive of Fruit Bowl Media. There are co-working spaces around the rest of Kent and it's a very popular thing these days, especially since the pandemic and the, and, uh, the lockdown and people were sent to work at home. Um, so we've got a lot more people working at home now uh, and what they call remote workers and also small businesses, sole traders, people that can't afford an, uh, a full-blown office. So co-working is about providing a flexible space for people to work in that isn't their back bedroom or their kitchen table. That doesn't stop you working at home if you want to, but it gives you a break. So the whole idea behind co-working is you can use this as little or as much as you want. Yeah, You can come in just for one day or you could use it five days a week or anything in between. But you can, but you're also not locked into it. So you could use it five days one week and not come back for three weeks and then use it one day. Yeah, so it's incredibly flexible. The benefits of co-working, especially now with the high cost of energy, is it's cheaper to work here and get warm with our, our energy than it is to heat your own home. Um, of course, we have high speed uh, broadband. We have a fiber optic link here with 200 megabit, uncontested. So. Uh, broadband is incredibly efficient and it's also a nice environment to work there's an eatery on site a public coffee shop uh, and you get a discount if you're a member here um, but there's other like-minded people to work with should you want to share experiences. Bit of a Christmas miracle this. A Kent postman has been reunited with his wedding ring after losing it while out delivering mail. Adrian Moore retraced his route in South Darrenth and Horton Kirby before a customer discovered it on their driveway. The 42-year-old had only just celebrated his first anniversary. Presents you donated to KMFM's Give a Gift campaign are being delivered across Kent from today. The toys are being given to hospitals, care facilities and to the those in less fortunate situations. You can follow KMFM, our sister radio station, on socials to see pictures. And Jules Holland is once again going to be filming his annual Hootenanny right here in Kent. The end of year party will be pre-recorded at Maidstone Studios next Wednesday. No word yet on which celebrities and musicians will be joining him on stage. Kent Online Sports. Football and we've got lots of reaction now to massive FA Cup games involving Kent sides over the weekend. Let's start off with Gillingham who beat Charlton Athletic 2 nil in the second round at Priestfield thanks to goals from Macaulay Bond and Tim Deang. First, here's head coach Stephen Clements. We had a game plan to get after them, um, how to press them and the lads carried it out fantastically and um, when you start like that um, obviously uh, you need to make sure you, you get your nose in front and thankfully we did and uh, with obviously, uh, uh, and obviously to go and score a second pretty much soon after uh, was fantastic. 
but I thought in the second half we could have gone on and got a few more. So that was a message at half time. Let's go again and let's try and get that third goal. So really, really pleased with the boys. They were absolutely fantastic today to a man. Um, and um, yeah, they've set, they've set some high standards there. And now we've got to, we've got to try and keep up uh, to them high standards. Yeah, I was just going to say, have you told them now that that's the level that you expect, not just in the cup, but in the league games as we move of, forward? Of course, yeah. And it, and it is... It is very hard to play to them levels week in, week out, but um, but but you can do it. Um, so uh, that's got to be the aim. That's got to be the aim, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to reviewing the game over the weekend uh, and uh, and picking out the best bits from it and and show them where they've done well and and how they've done well and and then. Um, Obviously, we can build on that going forward. As you heard, Macaulay Bond scored the first of the two goals, and it was against his former club. Obviously, they're a League One side doing well. Got some good players on their side, but. I think that spurred us on a bit more, having been a home draw, then bring a lot of fans. And I think the start for us was a fast start. When you first head, when you first tackle, it sets turn the game. And like I said, up until then, and we get the first goal, which I score, which is a bit of a, a sweet one for me because I was getting taken some real abuse today. But they're the things as a player. Like some players go under. Some oh, it spurs me on. I was like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something basically to say to you, all right, you keep using me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use it. And I end up using it and thought my it helped my performance during the game and. Look, it's just one of the things you get. You play against a former club. It's always oh, it happens, isn't it? You, you play and you score against old club. It's not nice for them, but it's one of the things. That's football. It happens, and so I'm the one going in the last half and Well, Gillingham have been drawn to play Premier League side Sheffield United at Priestfield in the third round of the competition. Next up, we got reaction from Maidstone United, who pulled off a shock 2-1 win over Barrow to make it through to the third round for the first time since 1988. Here's their manager, George Elakobi. We're riding emotion is. Um, a wonderful ach- achievement by our, our group of players, by our supporters, by Mr. United Football Club. Um, you know, again, I gotta say a big, a big thank you to to Pete Wire and his management team and his players. Um, they showed us every bit of respect in in how they set up, in how they started the game, and how they ended it. Pushed us all the way to the end. It was a fantastic FA Cup um, second round, um, and finally the magic is taking through in terms of how we've gone about it as a football club. Um, you know, this result is history um, in terms of how our players have gone about it and what a way to win it by, by Bivesh Grant. They'll face either Stevenage or Port Vale next. And finally, Ramsgate will be looking to pull off a giant killing tonight as they travel to take on AFC Wimbledon. They'll be in front of the TV cameras. His manager, Ben Smith. I've always liked these, you know, the FA Cup competitions I've always done quite well in. Um, you know, not to this magnitude, but I've always, you know, punched above our weight in terms of the club we're at. Um, I, I like going up against teams you've never heard of before, in, you know, you've never played against, because it's that one-off game. You know, tactically, it's a, it's a challenge. Can you, you know, tactically outwit the opposition? Um, you know, and I say, it's, uh, there's, no, there's no need to motivate players for these games. You know, that's already done. It's, it's a great opportunity for players to showcase what they can do. And, uh, and go out there and enjoy it. You know, my teams have always played good football. And I think when you're enjoying football and you're, you know, you're playing relaxed and, and free, I think that helps, you know, it helps aid the performance levels. Um, so I think that's, there's no coincidence that, you know, we've had good cup runs in the past because, you know, they've been, been able to relax and be, play free and, you know, no worries, no fear. 
and you know, I think that's what we've done so far in this one. Kickoff is at 7.45. You'll be able to follow the match action at Kent Online. We'll have reaction to the result in bulletins on our sister radio station, KMFM, tomorrow morning, plus in tomorrow's episode of the podcast. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, X, Instagram, TikTok and Threads. You can also get details on the top stories direct to your email each morning via the briefing. And to sign up to that, you just need to head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.